Welcome to the Women on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Sam Saperstein. Today's episode is a special feature from our seventh annual Leadership Day. This is J.P. Morgan Chase's annual conference dedicated to propelling women forward in their personal and professional lives. The day has evolved from a small internal gathering into a can't-miss event for thousands of clients and employees. The following discussion features Karen Lynch, CEO of CVS Health and the highest ranking female CEO ever in the Fortune 100. Karen spoke with J.P. Morgan Chase's global co-head of mergers and acquisitions, Anu Iyengar. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. So when you were a little girl growing up in Cape Cod, did you say, I'm going to grow up and be the CEO of CVS Health? I don't know that I said I was going to be the CEO of CVS Health, but I do remember as a child being a boss. And if you talk (laughs) to any one of my sisters, they would say she was a boss. (laughs) When did you know you wanted to be in healthcare? How did that interest come about? It's a really great question, Anu, and I had a number of personal challenges early on in my life. Age 12, I lost my mom to suicide. It was a horrific experience, as you might imagine. My aunt, who then brought in me and my sisters and my brother, then passed away when I was 26, 27 years old. So I had some real experiences with the healthcare system, with my mom not really knowing sort of where to get help, how to get help, with my aunt sitting in a hospital room very, very close to her, not knowing what questions to ask, not knowing where to go. And both of those experiences sort of have fueled my passion around healthcare and really being able to make a difference so that people are educated about healthcare, that people have access to healthcare, that people understand their options that are available to them in healthcare. So that's really the passion I get up every single day from a very young age. That's a tough, tough thing to happen to anybody at childhood. What got you through it? How did you get The theme of today is resilience, and you are the walking, talking example of that. What gave you the resilience to get through that? Well, I think there's a a lot of things. I think first had an incredible support system, incredible mentorship throughout my entire career. There's there's that inner drive of Mm -hmm. perseverance, but I didn't get here by myself. I got here through the help of many people throughout my entire life. And it started at a very early age. I had a high school teacher take an interest to sort of in guide and shape. And then throughout my career, I've had mentors and sponsors that have been guiding and shaping. And that's an important passion of mine, making sure that I'm giving back, that I'm sponsoring and I'm mentoring. I'm a firm believer that women need to help women. People need to help people in their careers. And none of us can do it by ourselves. And we really do have to help and guide each other. And that's a hallmark, I think, of any of us if we really want to do anything in life. In those time periods, was there advice that you got that you said, okay, this is really good advice and you now give it to others? One of the things my aunt always told me when I was young was make decisions, take the information that is available to you at the time, don't get stuck. Make the decision based on what that information you have. You can always pivot. You can always sort of reset the direction 
That was an important lesson because as leaders, as people kind of you know, managing people, people are always, always looking at you and watching whether or not you're making those decisions. I know early in my career when I first took my very first P&L job, mm -hmm. I was running a dental business and we were on the seventh floor and the elevators were broken. And at that time, do you guys remember the extra gulp Dunkin' Donuts? Well, I used to drink in the morning <laughs> two of those. And so walked up the seven flights of stairs with my briefcase and I'd carry all these papers and computers and called down and said, you need to fix the elevators. Our colleagues can't get up. And that entire day, everyone said she walked up seven flights of stairs. And I was like, that's not really a big deal. But what it taught me was that every sort of move you're making, people are watching. And that's really important as a leader to recognize that your words matter, your actions matter. And sort of thinking about that as you're making those decisions that I talked about is critically important. Now, she says it was no big deal to walk up the flight of stairs. <laughs> you just saw the Peloton instructor before, and she is not just a fangirl, but an ardent student. So. <laughs> I was so excited. I'm a fangirl of Tunde's, too, so I was so excited to see her. But I'm a big Peloton person. I think it's important for all of us to make sure we're taking care of our own selves, because if you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of others. And it starts first with us. And a lot of times you talk about well-being and the importance of well-being. We've got to do what's right for us if it's yoga, it's walking, and all those kinds of things. But that concept that you said, you have to take care of yourself only then can you take care of others, that's only now being talked about, at least in the corporate world. And you've been a pioneer and champion and speaking up on that topic way before it became cool to talk about it. What drove you to do that? And you have a huge company, more than 300,000 people. How do you instill that across the whole organization? Yeah, I think it's important. Let's go back to kind of early childhood experiences and making sure that your head is connected to your physical health. So your mind and taking care of your mind and that well-being is important. And, you know, as a company, I have a platform. One thing happened with the pandemic is we're seeing a huge increase in mental health in America. What I would say is the collateral damage of the pandemic was the toll it played on people. And you can see it every single day. Yeah, I think the good news is we're talking about it now and we're putting it on the map. And as a company, you know, we've got to make sure that we have the resources, we have the avenues for people. We do. I talk about it. We all talk about it. Every single person I am sure in this room has some story it's impacted their life in some way, we've hidden it and we can't hide it anymore because not only does it affect your mental health, it affects your physical health and we have to talk about it. We've got to get the right resources so that people have avenues so they can address their well-being. There's lots of different things people can do. Yeah, well, thank you for everything that you're doing in terms of taking the leadership because it is, like you say, in college campuses is the first manifestation of it and we are getting all those people come into the workforce, and that generation is a lot more comfortable demanding that companies think about this, which is a very healthy change, and you've been a pioneer of that. Well, just to give you some numbers on this, before the pandemic, we had 10,000 virtual visits for telepsychiatry. Last year, we had 10 million. Oh. And so that just gives you a sense for the change 
and the ease that people have had with using virtual care. Wow. It's just a powerful tool now that people can have in their own home. Well, you look lovely in pink. Yeah. Thank and you. you shared a story with me, which I don't know whether I can say I was horrified when you said that. Oh, you should have been horrified. Yeah. Before CVS, you were at Aetna. You were up for a big job and you were given some not so nice feedback. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. One of the things that I like to share is, you know, obviously it's not easy. As women, we have our own sense of challenges as we're growing up in our career. The story I didn't share with you was very early in my career when I walked into a room and I was the only woman walking into the room. Mm -hmm. One of the gentlemen said to me, I said, where should I sit? And he said, oh, you should sit over in the corner because women take up space in the boardroom. So when I was named CEO, I walked out and my husband looked at me, he goes, you're wearing a t-shirt for your first day? And I said, yes, because my t-shirt said, taking up space. <laughs> The other story that was sort of, and still in this day and age, as you grow up in your career, when you're vying for some of these big jobs, one of the things that you have to do is go through a series of activities. So you go through testing, you go through psychological screening, you go through 360 feedback, there's a whole bunch of things that you go through. So I went through all those experiences and I sat down at a table with the two consultants that had conducted all of this work. And the gentleman said to me, wow, your leadership off the charts, but Karen, you don't look the part. Well, I said, what do you mean? He said, well, your hair is blonde, you're short, you're petite, and you wear pink. And so, as you can imagine, I did one of these, oh my God, I can't believe someone actually just said that to me in this day and age. So I took a deep breath. And one of the things I've learned throughout my career is grace under pressure. So I said, oh, and he also said, your voice isn't deep enough. Mm. So I said, okay, well, my hair is blonde because I dye it that way and I'm gonna keep it that way. I'm 5'4", it is impossible for me to grow any taller genetically. <laughs> I said, I'm petite, well, I run a healthcare company, maybe I should like look healthy and play the part. And then I said, well, I don't know what to do about my voice. He said, oh, well, you could take voice lessons. Naively enough, I did. I know you're all wondering, why the heck did she do that? So I went and took voice lessons. And so I call my husband, Kevin, up in the middle of these voice lessons. And I say, hello. <laughs> I'm speaking from my diaphragm. What do you think? And he said to me, it's time to come home. <laughs> so I did. So you can tell I'm not speaking from my diaphragm. <laughs> but the lesson that I learned from that is to be authentically you. And if you can't be authentically you in the organization or the place you're at, then there is a place where you can be authentically you and go find that place. So that was an you know, important lesson mm -hmm. for me to learn. The other thing I learned was don't let anyone else define who you are or their impressions of you mm -hmm. define you. 
I think that's important for all of us because every one of us has things in their head that kind of sometimes are lack of confidence or questioning yourself and don't let anyone tell you who you are or what you are. You be you and I think that's an important part. And once you get comfortable with yourself that way, it's not always easy, but it's easier because people shouldn't define you. You should define yourself. That's fantastic advice. And sometimes you think that you know, 50% of the workforce is women. Do days like this still make sense? But then I hear that story and I'm like, oh my God. It what? wasn't that long ago. So yeah. I think it's good to share stories. I think it's good to have a network. It's good to talk about these things with other people because some people are experiencing those things. And sometimes it's unconsciously that people are experiencing that. So when you then became CEO and had the opportunity to define the organization and the direction it wanted to go, and the pandemic happened, yeah. and thank you for vaccinating all of America. Well, don't thank me, thank my colleagues. They did a phenomenal, <laughs> phenomenal job. So you had to both be a tactician and make sure that day-to-day -day got done, but yet be the, a visionary strategy thinker on where do you want CVS Health to grow up and be, or grow further and be. Okay. <laughs> and how did you balance that, and what is your vision? When I took over, 26 million tests were just being conducted. We were just starting vaccines, and it was, and variant was sort of the number one Google search. There was a lot going on. And what we first did was, you know, we had to say, okay, what are we trying to do? And we set sort of guideposts, you know, that we were focused on health and safety. We were focusing on our colleagues' safety, focusing on the importance of getting Americans mm -hmm. vaccinated, and then looking around the corner. So we had to tactically make sure that operationally we could do all the things that we had to do. But at the same time, we had to set a sort of a North Star because everything in the world was changing around us. Mm -hmm. And consumers' expectations in healthcare were changing dramatically. And we had to kind of reposition the company to say, this is giving us a moment in time to define ourselves as a healthcare company and really shifting it from kind of a corner drugstore to this broad national healthcare company. And we earned the right to do it through testing and vaccinations. One of the first things we did was we asked our colleagues, I wasn't gonna set the North Star on the purpose. What did they want us to be? Our colleagues came up with, we bring our heart to every moment of your health. That was them. And then we said, how do we really establish us as a definance of a healthcare company? And what we said was, we need to extend our healthcare service offering. So we were clear about defining going into primary care, going into the home. Consumers are more and more comfortable having healthcare delivered in the home versus what they were before the pandemic. We said we wanted to be in the community. We have 10,000 locations. We're already in the community. So we really wanted to meet people where they wanted to be met with their healthcare. What was critically important was technology. We really have to define healthcare is changing dramatically. And technology is where healthcare is going. And we've defined that we want to be a digitally led tech forward company as part of healthcare. So, you know, we set some really bold, ambitious goals and we all work together to do that. So we're kind of in the tactical operational piece, taking the moment of time that we had and then really repositioning the company. 
That's a lot to do on a day in and day out basis. You talk about taking care of yourself yes. as well. How do you find time? How do you find balance? Quarter five, 4.30, quarter five every morning, the alarm goes off. So I have coffee, do Wordle. So Wordle sort of my, <laughs> you know, every morning. I work out, so Peloton is my friend. So I have the bike and now the tread. And the other thing I do kind of for mental agility is I'm learning Polish. My mom was all Polish, my aunt was all Polish. So I'm doing Duolingo every night to get my head away from kind of the day to day. So those are all the things I do. And I share this with you when we were talking mm -hmm. earlier. I broke my hip in 2018 on a bicycle ride in the Netherlands. I flew back to the United States, I had it pinned. And then a year later, I had to have full hip replacement surgery. The year I broke my hip, I was supposed to run, this is my favorite race, I run the Falmouth Road Race. That was gonna be my 25th consecutive year in running the Falmouth Road Race. Well, I missed it. So fast forward four years later, so this past summer, I finally trained enough to go out and run that seven mile road race. I finished top 20 for my age group, which is not as young as I used to be, but I had to go back and get it. I think you have to find ways that you take care of yourself, but you gotta set goals. And I've always been a goal setter, and I think that kind of, okay, I gotta get the 25, and I was gonna do it, and I was gonna do it before I turned 60. She sounds like an underachiever, doesn't she? <laughs> I like what you said about run your own race. Define what you want to do, define the roles, and run. So how do you run your own race? I think it's all about setting your own goals, setting your expectations, defining who you are and what you want to be, and getting comfortable in your own skin. And for women, sometimes that's hard. You know, we just have to keep working at it. And I always say, there's always going to be those little voices in your head saying, you can't do this or questioning it. And you've just got to push beyond those voices and say, yes, I can. That's great. Job of a CEO has changed a lot now. As you said, if earlier people were watching how many flights or stairs that you can <laughs> climb, now people are watching your every move. The words you say, the words you don't say, how you looked at somebody, didn't look at somebody. <laughs> so the pressure on every CEO is a lot. And because there are so few female CEOs, the spotlight is even more. You're on the business roundtable. You're involved in a lot of initiatives about how business can have an impact that is beyond the company that you run. Talk a little bit about doing that with grace under pressure or being on, on, yeah, in the spotlight? I, there's a lot of societal issues and you can't walk away from them. You know, we're in the business of health. So the issues that I take on are in the business of health. That's my lane and that's our company's lane. And mm -hmm. we recognize that health is a very personal endeavor. It's the most important asset that we all own. And as a person and as a company, I look at that as an awesome responsibility that I'm taking care of people in their most vulnerable time of their life. We have a commitment to make sure that we are providing the financing of healthcare, delivering pharmacy services, and providing care. 
and that's the lane I play in and we have to play in. And we make those decisions every single day about what's good for the company, what's good for our colleagues, what's good for our customers. You have to have that framework to guide you. And in that journey, how do you think about communicating with your shareholders who are one of the stakeholders but oftentimes think are the only stakeholder? Obviously, you have many stakeholders, as you know and know. The shareholders are a critical part of who we are. Our shareholder money, it's their investing in us, and you know we have to deliver on our commitments, have to set the goals. That's one constituency, but you have to constantly juggle with your customers, with your colleagues, with your stakeholders. We're a big government business, so there's a lot of constituencies that you have to kind of keep a lot of balls in the air and juggle it. During the pandemic, the consumer kind of redefined what they want out of healthcare. And it became very much about, I want it where I want it, when I want it, the way I want it. And in some ways, you are best positioned to that demographic adaptation. Did you call that? Had you prepared the company for that? And do you think this is a pandemic trend or do you think it's there to stay? Oh no, this is here to stay. We called it early. You know, we saw consumers making choices about where they're getting their care, how they're thinking about it. just the numbers on virtual care, people's expectation. You know, every you can sit and someone's following the audience now, like I don't want to listen to her anymore. I'm gonna order something on Amazon. People want to engage with their healthcare in a very different way. So we've prepared the company to say if you need Need to be very consumer centric and that's been sort of it's always the outside in and that's been something that has been sort of the hallmark of my career looking at the come from a consumer's lens they're the ones who are buying our products they're the ones who we're providing services and you always have to have that outside in lens and i think it's really important that sometimes we get so insular if you aren't picking up your head looking at that outside Consumers' expectations of healthcare have changed dramatically. We're in a really good position as a company to really embark with them on their journey of health because we are in the community, we are connected to them virtually, and we are moving into the home. We just did a significant acquisition that really puts us in the home. So now we are the largest retail health carrier with one of the largest in-home services companies. Congratulations. Thank you. I want to close it out because you've had a remarkable personal journey, remarkable professional journey. You're an inspiration role model for not just everyone in the room here, but men and women everywhere. How do you define your leadership style? I have a leadership philosophy that I have shared with all the leadership team at CVS. Mm -hmm. uh, it starts with kind of an external point of view accountability, a drive for results, collaboration, and really sort of that connected and really focused on the consumer. And you know, in the end game for what we have, it's are we serving the consumer? Are we serving our colleagues? And are we leading with grace and resilience is how I really think about it. Thank you, Karen. Thank you. For keeping the customer as the North Star and leading with purpose and grace. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for listening to this conversation from Leadership Day 2022. 
Karen's story is inspiring, and I loved hearing how her commitment to mental and physical health in her own life has carried over to the meaningful work she's doing at CVS Health. She's a tremendous leader, and her lessons of perseverance, strength, and grace in the face of challenges are a few that I will take away. The mission of Women on the Move is to help women in their professional and personal lives. Our goal is to introduce you to people with great ideas, inspiring stories, and a passion to make a difference. To learn more about Women on the Move and listen to the full library of this podcast, please visit jpmorganchase.com slash W-O-T-M. For JPMorgan Chase's Women on the Move, I'm Sam Saperstein. JPMorgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC.